If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. The book of 1 Peter, all the way to the right, almost to the end of your Bible. The epistle started out as, as, a, as a letter written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's ultimately the author, it was the, the Holy Spirit, but he used Peter to write it. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, we've spent a lot of time with this, says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. Would you say that with me? New birth. Say it again. New birth. He has given us new birth into a living hope. That, that too is a very important phrase in this, in this increasingly familiar, and this is the last Sunday we're going to be looking at this verse, but that living hope, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That verse, that that key verse that we've been spending a great deal of time on in the last number of weeks, it tells us that because of Jesus' death on the cross and because of his resurrection from the dead, we can experience new birth that brings us into a living hope. We experience the new birth as an act of God's grace. By his mercy, he extended that grace to us we have that new birth, or in another place in the Bible says we can be born again, and that brings us into a place of living hope. It, it is a present thing. It is something that ex is existent with us. And for some weeks now, we have been seeing what God tells us in His Word about my living hope. My living hope. It's something that I experience. Now, that new birth that I just <coughs> excuse me, that I just referenced a moment ago, is something that many of us experienced some time ago. Um, uh, many of us here, we can look back and maybe, uh, maybe in the last couple of years or even, even some years ago, we experienced that new birth, that born-again experience. We recognized that without Christ, we're lost. We recognized that, that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. We recognize that we were sinful beings and that the only one who could heal us, the only one who could cure us, the only one who could forgive us is the person of Jesus Christ. And, and when we gave our lives to Him, some of us, that happened a long time ago. Some here this morning, that happened just a few weeks ago. In fact, I'm not going to identify you, but, but there are some here in our church, maybe they're here today, some are traveling, but there are some here today who gave their hearts to Christ just even last month. Glory to God. Amen. That's an exciting thing when someone comes to new faith or new birth in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. It, it, it's not just an event in the past, whether it be a few weeks ago or a few months ago or many years ago. God help us if our relationship with Jesus Christ is simply an event in the past, but it's something that we experience right now. Sometimes I will ask a person, as I'm getting to know them, I will, I will say something like this, tell me about your relationship with the Lord, 
And oftentimes, they will, they will go back to a date, months or years or decades ago, and they will point to that, but I want to know, what is God doing in their lives today? You see, it's, thank God for that beginning, but it's more than just the new birth, it's also the living hope. It is a present thing. A new birth leads to new life. In 1 Peter here, 1 Peter chapter 1 I want you to go down to verse 13, and I want you to look at the first word in verse 13. It is the word, therefore. You see that? It's a very important word. That word, therefore, is a a connecting word. Uh, It's a very significant word. Whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, it is declaring what will happen because of what has happened. So whenever you see that, you have to connect what will follow that word with what preceded that word. In this case, in verse 13, the word therefore, what preceded it was Peter, directed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing this letter and he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and new birth and faith in him and and the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about how important that is and how significant that is to these believers that he was writing to and to believers today. And then he says, therefore, and then what follows is related to what preceded it. In other words, because of the new birth, therefore, we're going to live differently. Therefore, things are changing. And in verses 13 through 17, those five verses, excuse me, we are given six ways in which people with a living hope live differently. Let me say that again. In, In those few verses, we are given six ways in which people with a living hope live differently. In other words, if we've experienced the new birth, if we understand that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead for me, and I experience that, therefore, my life is going to be different. And there are six things here. I'm, a, I'm very much a list person. Um, I, see, I, cer- I see certain patterns in Scripture, and so I, I see this as I'm studying this, this text here. Uh, I, I see certain things come up, and there are six here that follow. In recent weeks, in recent weeks, two weeks ago, Pastor Brad, last week, Pastor Ben, they, they drilled down on some. They brought messages directly related to some of these, and I'm not going to re-preach those great messages. In fact, I encourage you, if you did not hear them, go back, go to the website, and you will find it there. You will be able to listen to it. Those were powerful messages that really went into depth on some of these, but I want to look at them just very briefly this morning. The first one, here in verse 13, it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. You see, that? Therefore, prepare your minds for action. If we are in the living hope of Jesus Christ, he affects our minds. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you what happened. When you gave your heart to Christ weeks ago or months or years ago, when you gave your life to Christ, that eternal part of you, your spirit, right? This body, it's going to die. This body is going to return to dirt someday. But the eternal part of you, the eternal part of you was, was transformed, but he also affected your mind. 
If, we're in the, if we are in the living hope of Jesus Christ, he affects our minds. We think differently. Again, Pastor Brad drilled down on this. Do you know that one of the greatest gifts that God has given you is a healthy mind? Thank God for it. I mean, really. Just, just pause right now and just, just quietly, silently thank God for your healthy mind. I'll tell you what, I'm thankful for my healthy mind. Now, some minds, I think, are better, are sharper in some ways than, than mine, but I'm thankful that God has given me a sound and healthy mind. I'm also grateful that when I came to him, he began to transform my mind. We think differently. Thank God for our minds. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 Jesus said this, very significant, it's, it's, it's a part of the, uh, what we call the, uh, the great commandment. Jesus said, we are to love the Lord your God, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. We are to love God with our mind. That, I don't know how many pounds it is, how big it is, how weighty it is, how sizable it is, but I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a very important thing that God has given us. Let me add this as well. The mind is also something that the enemy wants to take control of. You know, I have, I have, I have never been physically assaulted by Satan himself. I've never been physically assaulted by a demon, but I'll tell you what, I have been in my mind, my mind has been tempted, my mind, he has whispered things into my mind. The enemy tries to go through our mind to get to the eternal part of us. Mind's a powerful thing, and the enemy knows this, but it says here that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. Do you know that there are some people that you know that, that think that when a person comes to Jesus Christ, they've lost their mind. How many know people like that? Maybe they even said it. Maybe a few weeks ago or a few months ago or a few years ago, somebody said, you've lost your mind. People that knew you before, back in your before Christ days, people that, that you used to hang around with, and all of a sudden, this inner transformation, and, and you begin to think differently, and you begin to act differently, and you begin to speak things differently. And people said, you've lost your mind. Well, the reality is that he renews our minds that we think differently because of this inner transformation. Um, I, I tell you, I, I have seen times where a person's mind is so clouded, so, and I'm not talking necessarily addled by drugs or some kind of substance abuse, but I'm talking about a person whose mind has been so controlled by the enemy, but once they're set free, all of, they're a different person. Why? Because he affects, he renews our minds. Mark chapter 5, you don't need to turn there, but let me just, Mark chapter 5 records an amazing story about a man who was filled with many demons who was then subsequently delivered by Jesus Christ. It's a powerful account. You can, you can read it later. But one of my favorite parts of that, the Bible says, this is somewhat related, the Bible says early on that, that this, this person who was demonized had all these demons, a legion of demons in him, uh, he said. Uh, it, it, he would tear his clothes off. They couldn't keep the guy in clothes. 
And I say that because at the end of the story, after Jesus had delivered him, at the end of that story, you can read it later, it says, they came to this man and the disciples, they saw him and it says this, he was clothed, he had clothes on, he was clothed and he was in his right mind. I like that. He was in his right mind. He was out of his mind. His mind was deeply disturbed. But when he came to Jesus, when Jesus transformed him, he is in his right mind. When you came to Jesus, you came into your right mind. I'm not talking about organically, physiologically, you know, right brain, left brain, that kind of a thing. I'm talking about God began to transform your mind. He renews our minds. When we come to Jesus Christ, he still makes our minds right. Let me ask you this, very, and I'll come back to this later, but does your thinking, does your mind reflect the living hope of Jesus Christ? That's a question I want you to ask. What, 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 what happens in your mind, has that been changed because of the new birth, the living hope that we're in because of the new birth. The second thing that reflects this inner transformation is also in verse 13. It says we are to be self-controlled. Now, some translations, maybe the translation you're reading says be sober in spirit. And, 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 but be self-controlled. Now, you look at that and you go, well, that's, a, that's a tall order. I mean, self-control, it, it, it looks to almost be, you know, all up to self. No, you have to understand this in context. This is only possible, he's giving this directive, he's declaring this, that we are to be self-controlled. If we are in the living hope, if we have experienced new birth in Christ and we're living for him, then we are to be self-controlled, but it's only possible because the power of sin has been broken in the person who has come to Christ. We sang this just a few moments ago, how he has broken the power of sin. He's broken the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 tells us that our old self was crucified with Christ, and the person who now is in Christ quote, has been set free from the power of sin. Hallelujah. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, self-control, set free from the power of sin, I get that, but pastor, what about addictions, right? What about, what about these, these strong compulsions? Well, addictions are powerful things. Addictions are powerful things. I, I have seen persons who are who are or were terribly addicted to many things. It is heartbreaking. And please understand, I do not take that lightly. I doubt that there's hardly a person here who either has at some point in their life been controlled by some powerful addiction or has, has been close to someone, a loved one or a family member, who has also been addicted to some. I do not take that lightly. But no addiction is greater than the power of the cross. Let me say that again. I, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing addiction, but I'm not maximizing it over the power of the cross. Again, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, that I've been crucified with Christ, and I have been set free from the power of sin. None of us, not one of us here this morning 
has enough self-control on our own to be set free from anything, but he gives us that power. The third thing, the third thing, and again, I'm not going into this in depth. You listen to those other messages that really, really nailed these. The third thing, reflecting that inner transformation, still in verse 13, it says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, this can be a little bit confusing, this this uh, particular part of verse 13, because we think of grace as something that is a part of our past. We think of, you know, I, I, I was saved by grace. It was grace that transformed me. It was the grace of God that reached me in my sin. And it is. The, the, the grace of God is something in our past. Hear me very clearly. The grace of God is also something in our present and in our future. Now, let me... <clears throat> I, 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 I in no way want to be misunderstood here that I'm adding something to the salvation experience, but, but my salvation experience, though in my case happened many years ago, um, and in some cases just a few weeks ago, my salvation will never quite be complete until I see him face to face. And it's like, that's when it's going to be, now, does that mean that I'm not, no, I am saved. I have experienced God's grace, but there is a future event when I see him, when I see Jesus face to face. This is actually referring to Jesus's return, to, to the return. It's, it's talking about grace in our future that when we see Jesus face to face, it's referring to the return of Jesus Christ. A little thing that you need to know, kind of a side note, the the doctrine or the teaching, the biblical teaching of Jesus' return is actually one of the most repeated doctrines or teachings in the New Testament. You see this a lot. It's a, it is a future event when Jesus will return and, we're ga- and, and will gather all of his people from throughout time for all of time to come. I tell you what, I can't wait. I look forward to Jesus' return. It doesn't say when he will return. No place in Scripture does it say when he will return. It may be today. And if so, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come today. I'm ready. He may not come back for five years or ten years. In fact, little Xander may may be an old man when Jesus returns, and it may not happen in his lifetime. I don't know, but I know this. I can be ready for his return at any moment. And if it doesn't happen, if his return, the second coming of Christ, does not happen, or the rapture of the church and subsequently to that, the, 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 uh, the return of Christ, if that does not happen in my lifetime, well, then I'm going to die and I'm still going to see him face to face. Some of us here have lost loved ones in the last few months or few years if they were in Christ, I'll tell you what, their salvation was made complete when they gave their, when they, when they, when they died, when this body shut down and their, the eternal part of them went to be with Jesus. Glory to God. That, that doesn't take away the, the loss, but I'll tell you what, it sure makes it a little bit better when we know that they're with Jesus Christ. We fix our hope on that. We look forward to that day. It says, set your hope on the grace to be given you when Christ is revealed. We look forward to that. We live this day in light of that day, and we fix our hope on that. In my Bible reading this last week, I read this from Romans chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 18. In fact, I, I, I have a really hard time 
uh, in my Bible, just my devotional reading, uh, almost every morning I have that, and, and, and uh, I, had a, I have a really hard time getting through Romans 8. It is a hard chapter to get through. Not because it's hard to understand. It's just that I just go a little bit, and I just, I just stop and thank the Lord, and I begin to pray, and I thank Him for all that. Is there so much in Romans chapter 8? And I, I, I read this in my devotional reading this last week. Actually, I read it about probably 20 times because I kept rereading it. It says this, Romans 8, 18, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. Listen to that again. Listen to that again. Listen to the anticipation, right? Listen to the anticipation. Whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. God has, there it is right there in the text, God has a magnificent future plan for you. I'm looking forward to heaven. I really am. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. The fourth thing that demonstrates that inner transformation is in verse 14 where it says this, <coughs> as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Remember, he's writing to people who are in the therefore. In other words, because they've experienced the new birth, they're in the living hope, they're, they're living for Christ. And now, therefore, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Do not conform to or be shaped by those things we once did without thinking. Do you know that I have found in, in outside of Christ, it's one of the easiest things in the world to just go along with people, to just go with the flow, to do what everyone else does, to do what our culture says, to do what society says, to do what this ever-changing um, measure of morality is. Just, just go with it. it things, you just go. That's what this world says. Conform to it. The, the rules are now changed. The, the morals have changed. The the, the uh, objectives have changed. The, there are no absolutes, they will say. So, but just whatever it is, conform to that. But when you come to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, now, instead of our world mandating what is right, we say, this is what is right. And we stop conforming to all of the things that the world says, you must do, think, believe, so forth. We're no longer shaped by those things. Don't conform to it. That's difficult because it, it, it creates a tension. We're suddenly, instead of just going with the flow, suddenly we stop and God changes us and we begin going against the stream, against the flow. Non-conformity to this world. It's hard. Some of you are there right now. Some of you just a few weeks ago gave your lives to Christ and you're, all of a sudden there's this tension inside of you and, and, and you're saying, well, yeah, but the Bible says, the world says this, but the Bible says this and, and, and it's difficult. <coughs> Don't conform to the world. The Bible says elsewhere in Romans that we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the renewing of our hearts and our minds. And please notice it does not say that we will not be tempted, Right? Please notice that. It says, whatever we may, uh, it, says, it says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had. When, but it doesn't say that we won't be tempted. You will be tempted to conform. You will be tempted to go with the world's standards. 
You will be tempted, but we don't need to give in to that temptation. We don't need to conform to it. There's a story of a, uh, a new Christian saved just a, just a very short time, and he was being baptized in water. The pastor had him. The guy's excited. He's just a new Christian, and the pastor baptizes him, and when he brings him up out of the water, the man declares to the pastor and to everyone else who's witnessing it, he says, Pastor, praise the Lord. I'll never be tempted again. <laughs> the pastor, sharp guy, he says, for that to happen, I'd have to hold you under the water just a little while longer. <laughs> See, as long as we're alive, as long as we're living, we're going to be tempted the enemy of your soul will want to take you back to the way things were. He hates to lose ground. And he will take you back to that place and he will tempt you with that thing that, 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 that you succumb to, that you conform to countless times before. But glory to God, he helps us, gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can resist the conformity to this world because of the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We don't need to surrender. We are not forced to conform. Our lives, our words, our attitudes, our passions, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do with our abilities will be different. In fact, I'm going to say this. This is strong, but I'm going to say it. There's something desperately wrong. There is something desperately wrong when persons who claim faith in Jesus Christ live in remarkably similar ways to persons who know nothing of Christ. There's something wrong when you look at a person's life and they're almost identical to a person who has not experienced the new birth, who, has, who is not in the living hope. There's something wrong with that. Now, I'm not saying that you come to Christ and go weird. I'm not talking like that. I'm not saying that you're just the oddest duck on the block or on the, in, in the county when that happened. No. But I am saying that we're going to live differently and our lives are going to look differently than those who have never experienced Jesus Christ. It's the way it's supposed to be. Therefore, You've experienced the new birth and you believe in the resurrection from the dead and he's transformed you. Therefore, don't conform. And there's that fifth thing. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. It is written, be holy because I am holy. There's, there's a lot there. Again, listen to... <coughs> Pastor Ben's message last week. It was so good. I was so blessed to hear it. Holiness can seem to be an impossibility. Be holy as God is holy. Seems like it's a mountain that's placed before us. It's too, it's too high to climb. There's no oxygen there. You can't do it. But as Pastor Ben shared last week, holiness is more about being than doing. It's not in our strength. It's not in our ability but it is in Christ who is within us. I can be holy because he's holy. I can be holy because of what he does inside of me. 
Holiness doesn't mean living a self-induced life of misery and deprivation. Holiness means we are set apart. Holiness means we are separated for a holy purpose. I'm going to go back to that statement I said earlier out of Romans chapter Romans chapter 8, that God has great plans for us, and he set you apart. If you're following Jesus Christ today, he calls us to a life of holiness. He calls us to holy life because we're, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. He has great plans for us, so he sets us apart for his purposes, not for ours or someone else's. There's one more. It's in verse 17 where it says this. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. It's brief. Let me read it again. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers. Live your life as strangers here in reverent fear. It's telling us here quite simply that we will give an account for our lives. See, the parable of the talents is true. Whatever he gives us, he gives it to us just for a time, and someday we will give an account for what he gives us. We will give an account. We will stand before God, and we will give an account for what he gave us in the time that he gave us. We're to live our lives as strangers here in reverent fear, knowing that he will judge our work Another translation puts it this way. It's from the Amplified, so it's a little bit long. Another translation puts it this way. Conduct yourselves with profound respect throughout the time of your stay on earth. Conduct yourselves with profound respect throughout the time of your stay on earth. This one, this one. Listen to Conduct yourselves with, this is from the ESV, English Standard Version, excellent version. Um, this one. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I like that. Conduct yourselves with fear, a holy fear, not, not terror, but a holy awe. We sang of it earlier, holy awe, respect. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We are exiles. This is not our home. We're exiles. You say, well, well, you mean when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, I, I, I became an exile? Yes, you became citizens of an eternal kingdom that is beyond this world. We're exiles. So, so from that time, this world no longer became our home. Now, if you gave your life to Christ weeks ago, months, or years ago, you are living in exile. This is not your home. Just, just a few weeks ago, Joni and I and two of our children were in southern Germany. and we, I always wanted to go there. We saved up and planned and went and made it all happen. And um, I don't know if... Darlene is here today. Darlene Fisher, are you here? She's not. She's traveling today. One of the places that I wanted to go was a place called Dachau, Dachau Concentration Camp. The reason that I wanted to go there, in part, I love history, but secondly, because my dear friend, Wally Fisher, who 
went to be with Jesus just a few months ago. Wally Fisher, when he was just a little boy, about four years old, three or four years old, lived in Dachau for some months. Got quite a story. Another time. And so I wanted to visit with my family that horrible, wretched place. And I will say this, I think it's the most horrible place I've ever been in my life. To look around that camp and see the foundation and know that in one of those foundation stones, my dear friend is a little boy and his parents, and I did his mom's funeral some years ago. That, little, that young family lived in those horrible, wretched, even 75 years later, you can almost feel the evil in that place. It's the most wretched place I've ever been. Well, I've been studying this text, and, and we're walking around, we're seeing this, and it's, just, you're just, it's heavy, and it's dark, and, it's, and I thought, this is not our home. If I lived in this wretched place, as my friend Wally did, and so many others did, and perished there, if I lived there, I, I would want to say, this is not my home, this is not my eternity. Well, this is hard, but this is, this is not my home. This is not my, I'm an exile here and someday I'm going to go to be with Jesus. This is not my home. That's on the negative end of it. Now, here, here's the thing. The next day, I kid you not, the next day we went to this place called Nymphenburg Palace. It's in Munich. It is, uh, to this point in my life, it is the absolute most beautiful place I've ever been. It's where the Bavarian kings lived. It was their summer place, <laughs> a nice summer place. You got a pop-up camper. This guy had a palace. Beautiful, huge, symmetrical. I loved it. Just perfect symmetry, just a huge semicircle, perfect symmetry. And I'm looking around this place, and this text is coming through my mind again. We're living in exile. And I thought, you know what? If I lived here, pretty nice place. It's only 9.3 miles from Dachau. The most miserable place I've ever visited is 9.3 miles from the most beautiful place I've ever visited. But if I lived in the nice palace, you know what I would say? I'm still in exile. This is not my home. Why do I mention that? Not to give you a report of our travels. I mention it because, well, in, in one sense or another, we live in times where there are really, there are times that are just, <coughs> they're wretched and they're difficult and they're arduous and, and it, it, it's, it's difficult beyond imagination in our lives. And it's in those times, those months or even those years when we need to say, this is not my home, I'm living in exile there are other times in our lives when we got it really good and we're enjoying it and we've got some of the things that we wanted and doing some of the things that we always wanted to do and life is good and it's wonderful. But even in that place, we need to say, this is not my home. I'm living in exile. I have another home. It's with Jesus and it's going to be forever. He says, live in light of that. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time. Understand that there is a God in heaven who sees all, but also understand that this is not my home. I'm going to be with him. This is not our home. However good or bad it might be, there's something infinitely greater ahead for those who have the living hope of Jesus Christ. So honor him. Revere him. 
have a holy respect for him, say, oh God, you see it all. You see my life. I want to live for you. There's not a thing that is beyond your sight. I want to live for you so that someday I can come home and be with you forever. This morning, I want you to do this. In fact, I'm going to ask our musicians, would you go ahead, and, but, but the rest of you, listen to me. I'm, I'm going to go through these real quickly because here's what I want you to do. This morning, in a few moments, we're going, to, in a few moments, don't, don't do it yet, but in a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing this together and I'm going to pray and these altars are going to be opened. But I want to go through this list, these six things again. And I've been praying that the Holy Spirit will just do a scan of us. And is there any one of these that, that those of us who are living in the living hope, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him, you're, you've experienced the new birth. Because of that, therefore, how's your mind doing? Has he made your mind right? Are there some things that he needs to do yet in your mind? Then would you do this in these next few moments? Say, Lord, once again, I, I'm in the new hope. I, I've given my life to you. But Lord, make my mind right. He gives us his Holy Spirit-empowered self-control. Lord, there's some things where it just seems like I'm out of control, but I believe that, that because I am in the living hope, you will give me the strength in you. I can't do it in myself, but in you, I will have the self-control to do what you've called me to do. Maybe that's what you need to bring before the Lord. Or anticipating his return. Lord, right now it's, it's difficult, and, but I, I want to I understand that this is not my home, but it's coming, and I want to anticipate seeing you face to face. I want to be ready. If you're not, you can be ready. The fourth thing, maybe you've conformed a little bit to this world. The standards of this world have dictated your behavior rather than the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Say, Lord, help me. I want to be, I want to be conformed to your plan, not this world's plan. The fifth thing, <coughs> God, make me holy. Set me apart for your purposes. I can only be holy in you. I, I want to be holy, not just do holy. I want to be holy. And if I, if I experience that holiness, my behavior is going to change. But Lord, I wanna, I'm going to be holy, set apart for you. And the sixth thing, maybe you need to pray this. Lord, I've been living like this, living in this world like this is my ultimate. It's not however good or bad it might be right now. It may be concentration camp bad or palace good. Somewhere in between. But I want to live like an exile. I want to live every day. I want to get up tomorrow morning and say, this is not my home. I'm just here for a time. But I have a home in heaven. If that's you this morning, I want you to pray that. I'd like you to stand with me, please across this sanctuary. We're going to close in prayer. Again, as always, these altars are open, folks. These altars are always open at the close of the service. <coughs> We're going to sing this song. And I want to sing both parts, too. There's two parts of this song. And uh, 
And so I want you to sing this. I want you to sing along. I want you to sing out. <coughs> Excuse me. I also want you to understand these words and pray these words. So let's do that right now. Let's, let's sing together.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shout it out to him. Come on. Thank you for what he's done. He set you free. He broke the chain. He redirected you from hell to heaven. Glory to God. Sin no longer has control over you. He's forgiven you. You're clean. Therefore, Therefore, Lord Jesus, I pray that every person here within the sound of my voice, that every person within the sound of my voice, Lord, would know that there is a Savior in heaven who died for them and rose from the dead so that we can have new birth, the living hope. So therefore, Lord, may our lives look different be different, act different, think different. Pray this, Lord, as we leave this place, <coughs> as we gather around these altars, as we return to our responsibilities, the challenges that await us, the delights that await us, the opportunities that await us. Oh God, may we live differently because of that living hope. I thank you, Lord, your blessing upon every person in this place, as they leave this place, going in your strength, going in your power. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs>